Oh, we're going to have fun. While the cat's away, dad will play. <laughs> we're going we're to have a good time. I'm going to preach on kissing. I like to kiss. Come here, honey. Fifty-three years of practicing. I like it. Don't you like to kiss? Man. I gave my notes to Shane uh, to put on the, the board and everything. And he asked me the title, and I gave him the title, and I said, or we could call it this, or we could call it this, or we could call it this. And one of them was, you know, instead of just, I like kissing, uh, I said, well, say, who's the greatest, who gave you the greatest kiss? And I said, no, we better not do that. We don't want to start no fights. <laughs> You know, so I told him not to do that. Well, I looked later, and it's on Facebook. <laughs> I, I called him up, and I said, son. Oh, he said, I didn't read the message correct. <laughs> so 90% of the cultures around the world like kissing. There's some that don't. 90% of them do. Anybody know the world, the most famous kiss in the world? Anybody want to try it? You got it, sister. The most famous kiss at all is at the end of World War II when they, they declared victory. They had that sailor, in, I think it was in Times Square. And, and, and that is the most known kiss of all. I wasn't there, so I don't know, but but we're gonna we're gonna preach the greatest kiss of all time. Turn your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 85. The greatest kiss of all time. And we're gonna we're we're not just gonna read the whole thing and come back. We're gonna read portions of it and make comments as we go along. And then get into the message as we go. So in Psalm chapter 85, Lord, we ask that you would just bless the message tonight. Lord, it's, it's good to have fun, but help us to really grasp the, the tremendous doctrine and the teaching that is found in this chapter of Scripture and Lord, that it might solidify our salvation, help us to reach others that do not know Christ and realize what you have done for us that cannot be done by anyone other than you. Lord, help us to understand the greatest kiss of all time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse number one, the Bible says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah, he says, think about that. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. 
Now understand, they've been in captivity and God is, has brought them back from captivity. He's forgiven their, their sin. He's, he's withdrawn his wrath. And then we come to verse number four. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense if he's forgiven them and they've, they've come back out of bondage and everything. But he says in verse number four, he says, turn us, O God of our salvation, and, kind, and, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? He'd brought them back, but the people still have not turned. And he said, God, we need you to turn us. We need revived. We need to be brought back to you. Look in verse 7. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. And as we, we begin to get a hold of what he's saying here, they recognize the fact that finally, after 70 years that they've been in captivity, and God has been dealing harshly with them. He's taken them out of the land because of their wickedness, their sin. And he's punished them for 70 years in a foreign land, in a foreign country. And he's brought them back now and he's forgiven them. But they recognized that they were guilty. And this, this is extremely important that you get a hold of this tonight. They recognized they were guilty and needed God's mercy and that they must not return to that same folly that they had been involved in before. For all these years, 70 years, they had lived in rebellion, in captivity. They'd been in idolatry. They'd turned from their God. But now they're saying, okay, God, you brought us back, but now what do we do? What do we do now? They, they didn't know what to do. They haven't been worshiping God for these 70 years. They've still been stooped in idolatry. They've still been going away from God while he was punishing them. They were angry at God and all of the different things that you find in the different books and but now they're saying, we, we don't want to turn back to our folly. But we don't know what to do. We, we don't know how to worship you. We don't know how to do those things that please you. So in verse number nine, he says, surely his salvation is nigh them that what? Fear him that glory may dwell in our land. What was the problem before? They didn't fear God. And because of that, they didn't obey the Sabbath. And because every, every year that they, they did not lay their ground 
he, he put them a year into captivity. They were supposed to let their, their crops lay aside for a year, and they, they wouldn't do it. They didn't fear God. They went ahead and, and, and lived their life the way they wanted to live it and thought they were getting away with it. America's living the way they want to live, and America thinks they're going to get away with it. But I got news for him. I've read the rest of the book. <laughs> He's not going to let them off. The fear of the Lord is the key for Israel here, and the fear of the Lord is the key for us. We had a revival meeting a while back. Brother Dignant, is that fear of the Lord still there? Oh, we've done the meeting. We've been, come back out of bondage. But do we have the fear of the Lord so we don't turn back to the things that God spoke to our hearts about during that revival meeting? In verse number 10, he gives us the key to this whole thing. He said, what has God done here? Look at verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The greatest kiss that there ever was. This tells us what God has done not just for Israel, what he did for them at that point, but what he's done for us and for mankind. Mercy and peace are on one side, and you have truth and righteousness on the other side. There are two different sides here. Truth requires righteousness. That's perfection. God says 100% perfection. That's what I require. That's what truth requires. But mercy, on the other hand, calls for peace, which is just the opposite. How can you have truth and righteousness and mercy and peace at the same time? It seems like mercy and truth are going in different directions, and they are. But here in verse number 10, it says they meet and they kiss. They seem to be in a conflict, but here they're brought into a harmony. Mercy by itself, it, it negates the law. But truth demands justice, and that punishment must be carried out. Remember what he said about picking up sticks. He said the guy was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and they said, what do we do with him? He said, stone them without mercy. You can't have both. So truth demands justice and that Punishment must be carried out. 
And understand this is why salvation is so clear and so plain. Man cannot ever have mercy and truth meet together. With man, righteousness and peace will never kiss. This is what we've got in Washington. We've got some that are for the law. We've got some that are for mercy. We've got some that, that say, no, we have justice. And the other one says, no, we want peace. And they will never get together. We will never be able to experience peace and justice with man in charge. It's impossible. Man cannot do that. That's why man cannot save himself. You, you can't meet God's justice and mercy at the same time. But we see this when it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ at the cross. That's where they meet. Only at God's mercy seat could you have, have mercy and truth meet together. So I want to break these down for you and, and to where, where we get a better look at these things. Let's look at mercy. Mercy is where punishment is deserved. I deserve my punishment, but I don't get punished. I'm guilty, but God does not punish me, even though I'm guilty. Remember the woman? They found her, took her in, in, in idolatry, caught her in the very act. Was she guilty? Yes. They said, let's stone her. Let's take her out and stone her. And Jesus got down. He wrote on the, something on the floor or on the ground there. And he said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, starting with the old codgers, because it don't take much to let us know we're sinners. The young people today, they, they just don't think they're that bad. Well, you live a little longer, you'll find out you're pretty bad. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, where are those thine accusers? He said, they've gone, Lord. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. She was guilty. Jesus said she was guilty. She was a sinner, but he gave mercy and peace. And she walked out as a saved individual. Mercy and truth met together. The guilty is treated as if they had not sinned. He treated her as just as if she had not sinned at all. You are guilty. I am guilty. But if I really ask you, are you guilty? Would you have to hunt for one? Hunt for a sin? Or would it be pretty evident in your life? Understand something. No guilt no mercy. That's why when you're dealing with somebody for salvation and you're giving them the Romans road, don't just give them the Romans road. 
you make sure they understand they are guilty. I've, I've talked to people and started taking them through the Romans road and they well, well, you know, I'm not so bad. No mercy. None at all. There, if there is no guilt, there is no mercy. Mercy leads us to have compassion for others. It causes us to assist somebody when, their problem, when they have their problems or sorrow. It causes us to treat an offender better than they deserve. It doesn't depend on what they've done. You, you think about the earthquakes or you tornadoes or the hurricanes and, and you have people going down to help people. It you don't check into their background record and say, well, I'm just going to help those that are Baptist. <laughs> no. You help people because they need help. You show mercy because they need mercy. Doesn't depend on what they've done. Same thing with God. Doesn't depend on how bad or how little of a sinner you are. You still need mercy. But without guilt, there is no mercy. Now let's look at truth. Truth is exactness. It is fact. Exact according to that which is or that which has been or that which is going to be. It's fact. It does not change. Math is fact. One plus one always equals two. It never changes. That's why I like math. It's an absolute. It never changes. You know, English, Lord, help us. And you think the English is bad. Wait till you get some of these other languages. <laughs> They'll turn you loose. Truth is exactness. It is fact. It is perfection. We see this in God himself. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. How many times did he just say in one verse that he is exact? He is perfect. He is truth. Psalm 31, 5 says, Unto thy, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Truth. So because of truth, sin has to be punished. It has to be punished. We see truth in Jesus. He said, I am the way, the what? I'm perfect. I'm completely perfect. The truth in the life. John 17, 17, when he's praying, he said, sanctify him through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You want to find out what's right or wrong, you go to the word of God. Don't go to a politician. Don't go to grandma. Grandma may be pretty good, but grandma is not truth. The word is truth. And whatever the word says, that's truth. That's perfection. That's exact. And that's what must guide our lives. That complete perfection. John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to see complete perfection, study the life of Jesus. And that's what he expects us to be like. We see it also not only in God himself, but in Jesus. Now we see it in the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of what? Truth, which from proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. That's why you know a lot of this, this stuff that's going on in a lot of these churches is not of God. They sing about the Holy Spirit. They pray, they pray about the Holy Spirit. They, they seek Him. They, the whole thing is all about the Holy Spirit. It's on their signs. It's on the, everywhere. The Holy Spirit says, I will not speak of myself. I will speak of Jesus. So you know already they're not led of the Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. And that's why he exalts Jesus because he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Truth is fact. And through truth, the law is then magnified, exposing our sins. And the only thing that come out, can come out of that truth is justice. No compromise. Punishment must be handed down. So you have mercy that only comes when we're guilty. And you have truth that is absolute perfection. By Adam breaking God's truth, God's law, all men were condemned, yet God in his grace and mercy, he had a plan of redemption for us and through that man, Jesus Christ. That's why Romans 8, 1, he says, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Why? that the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the law, might be fulfilled in us. That perfection required by the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. First John Chapter 2 and verse 2 says he is the propitiation. He's that substitute for our sins. Not for ours only, but also, listen Calvinist, for the sins of the whole world. He didn't leave one person out. The whole world. He is the substitute, the propitiation for our sins. So God met the demand of truth 
in the sacrifice of his son. The only way that you can have mercy and truth meeting together is through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's the propitiation. He's the one that took our sins upon himself. He met together. Man cannot meet together. So in God, the, the attribute of truth, which seems to be against us, and mercy, which seems to be for us, have met together. And through that, we are reconciled back to him. And these qualities are entwined and linked inseparably in all that God does with mankind. Now think about this, what he says here in Psalm 25:10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Man either has the, the path of truth or man will have the path of mercy, but he cannot have both. Only God, he says, all my ways are mercy and truth. Now remember, with man, mercy and truth will never meet. They cannot meet. Yet here, mercy and truth are met to together. They've come face to face. They met in Jesus Christ at Calvary and the tomb. You cannot leave out either one, the cross or the tomb. The gospel is what is covered here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. They work together, but they only work together in God. That's why you can't find, you, you can't, Get mercy and truth together in Buddha. We met a Buddhist the other day when we was out knocking doors here in, in Eaton. He said, well, I just love everybody. Well, I, that's good. I'm glad you do, but that won't get you to heaven because that's mercy. How about the truth? That's sin. That's judgment. You have to have payment for your sin. And that payment only comes through Jesus Christ when mercy and truth meets on that cross at Calvary. In the Old Testament, man met the Redeemer at the mercy seat when the atonement was made for sin to pardon the guilty and forgive their sin. Exodus 25, 22 says, And, I, and there will I meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. Mercy is coming. What, can you, what do you have to have in order to get mercy? What do you have to have? Talk to me. Guilt. So when they're coming with their, their sacrifice, they are saying, I am guilty. And God says, when you come to the temple with your sacrifice, admitting you're guilty, I will meet with you on that mercy seat. And you can have atonement. You will have your sins forgiven. 
Now let's look at righteousness and peace. Righteousness is the essential justice of God. Absolute right. Perfect perfection. That's why Romans 3.25 says, Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare what? His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It was his righteousness that he's declaring, not our righteousness. He says, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, that 100% perfection, justice, he says, and the justifier, he's the judge as well to him, which believeth in Jesus. That's why Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You cannot have forgiveness. You cannot have, have atonement. You cannot have mercy. You cannot have forgiveness without coming before God guilty and realizing it is his righteousness only that he will accept. Now look at peace. The punishment for our sins made by Jesus Christ satisfied God's righteousness and made peace for us. When he made that sacrifice and God said, I am satisfied with your sacrifice, he wouldn't be satisfied with my blood. I've got sinful blood. I got sinful heritage. I am a sinful man, and so are all y'all. Don't get proud on me, okay? Amen. But God, when Jesus Christ made his sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. It was finished. It was accepted. God's wrath was satisfied. That's why he said in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for, why was he wounded? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the wrath, that punishment of God, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. Isaiah 32 and verse 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. That's what Jesus does when, with his righteousness and through his righteousness. He brings peace. As I thought about this, the absolute, just, just the absolute unfathomable love that God had for me when he embraced me at Calvary. The greatest kiss ever in the world. He showed his love. It says, but God, for God, uh, shared, uh, my mind just went blank, shared his love with us, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What, what love. 
no man, your mom and dad love you, but they can't help you. Grandma and grandpa, they, they can't do it for you. Government can't do it. Church can't do it. Any religious organization cannot do it. It can only be done through Jesus Christ when, when mercy and truth and righteousness and peace meet together at the cross of Calvary and he reaches down and he kisses us with his love. It's absolutely amazing. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. In the work of reconciliation and, and redemption in Christ, two parties who were separated and alienated are now united together as friends and have embraced each other. This kiss from Almighty God shows His affection to me. It shows His affection to you. When they kissed each other, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Remember what he said in verse number nine, surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him. Do you fear God? Do we fear God? Do we stand guilty before him? Every day, not just for salvation, but every morning when you wake up and you get out of bed and you, you realize, I, I have this life only by the grace of God. I, I stand guilty even today before a holy God. And by his mercy, instead of truth condemning and destroying me, his mercy meets with truth and his righteousness, which demands payment and peace. Kiss once again. Do you realize what he has done for you? Do you realize what he wants to do for other people? It cannot be accomplished in any other way than through Jesus Christ. But by the mercy of the Lord, he said, is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. As we live a life that is guilty before God, yet receiving his mercy. A life of truth, doing what's right in the sight of God, yet we receive his peace. And as we live for the Lord day by day in that aspect, that will create a fear of God in our lives. And we will worship him the way he says to worship him. We'll serve him the way he says to serve him. We cannot have mercy until we have the fear of God. And cry out to him recognizing that we are guilty. 
and that we deserve destruction. He said, it, it, it's just a miracle that we are not consumed every day, the Bible says. He understood what God was talking about. With man, mercy, and truth will never meet. You must pay for your own sin. If you don't have the mercy of God, you will pay for your own sin. You cannot have righteousness and peace. They will never kiss unless you come guilty before God. And we live in an unrighteous world and we would never know the peace of God. You ever see Christians? I, I'm not a big Christian counselor. I'm, I'm excited about this guy coming. I really am. I, I always want to learn something. But you know, this just, it's just pretty simple to me. You, you, you find Christians that are, that are just so distraught. And you find Christians that are so down in the mouth and they're just, they're, they're just depressed and they're just everything. I mean, the, the world is, is not worth living. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, the sky is falling. That's not what happens when you come before God and you're guilty and you cry out for his mercy and he reaches down and he kisses you. When that mercy and truth met together, when that righteousness and peace has kissed each other, you and I can have confidence. You and I have hope that the world does not have. We can, I, I just enjoy living. I, I, I enjoy my Christian life. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, I mean, I, I have a great time. And, and President Biden is not the only one who likes ice cream. It's the only thing I like about him. But outside of that, let's, let's wrap this up. We're just, just about finished. Whether it's revival, whether it's a mission conference, whether it's a, a regular preaching meeting, uh, whether it's your, your own personal uh, relationship with God, he, he, he finishes this up and he says, with revival, when these things happen, when, when we turn back to God, when we have the fear of God and we stand guilty before him, and allowing him to do what he does. He said, look in verse 11. Truth shall spring out of the earth. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. Truth's going to grow. The gospel's going to spring up and go forth. Notice it says, it says righteousness shall look down from heaven. Jesus Christ is watching. He sees everything we do. That righteousness is looking down. Jesus Christ, truth, he is looking down from heaven. The very character of God is righteousness. And that character will become evident in the Christian's life because when we have revival, we're going to be showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. 
long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, all of these things that can be evident in our life, not despair and complaining and bellyaching. Look at verse 12. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. God's blessings are going to be on those people. God's increase, and I am not a prosperity gospel preacher in any way, shape, or form, but God promises to bless us. Amen? We will become productive Christians. And then in verse 13, righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Man's going to walk before God in righteousness. He's going to set us in God's way. He's extended that mercy to us. He's going to fulfill that righteousness in us. If you're here tonight and you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have not met him at the mercy seat at Calvary, where he paid for all of your sins. You need to stand before him guilty. Not trying to weasel out and say, I'm not that bad. Just simply say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God says that man went down justified. But as Christians, on a daily basis, God's extended that mercy to us as he does to Israel, because over and over and over, you keep seeing that God is handing out his mercy to them. When did you cry out to God for his mercy and salvation? Well, I joined the church. I didn't ask you when you joined the church. Well, I got baptized. I didn't ask you when you got baptized. When did you stand before Almighty God guilty and deserving to die and go to a devil's hell? And cry out to him for his mercy to save you. If not, you can do that tonight. We'll help you. We'll take a Bible. We'll sit down with you. We'll go through the word of God and show you how you can know for sure that if you died today, you'd be in heaven. I was raised in church 26 years. I knew when to pull it the rope for the bells. I knew when to turn to the altar and light the candles. I knew when to turn to the congregation and speak for God and turn to the altar and speak for the people. I'd been confirmed, catechized, mesmerized, homogenized. I'd been all those things, but I was still lost. I did not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I had to go all the way over to Spain for a missionary to find me and show me the gospel, how Jesus, how mercy and truth met together, how righteousness and peace kissed each other. On September 21st, 1975, I became a recipient of that kiss of God. And he gave me eternal life. And he changed my life completely. 
and he'll do the same for you. Mercy and peace can only be found in Jesus and in the fear of God. Christian, if your life is just messed up, I mean, you're just, you, you just, it's not worth it. The world is just caving in, seems like, and you can have the peace in the midst of a storm. It comes through that, that kiss of God. Why don't you come tonight and ask him to do something in your life that maybe has not been done. If it's salvation, just come. Stand right here at front. I'll come right down to you immediately and we'll have somebody take the Bible and show you how to be saved. If you are saved, but you need the mercy of God. Pride don't get you anywhere. I don't know how many people, I've been a preacher for I don't know how many years. And I've seen people sit in their seats and they say, oh, I'm going to make a decision. You talk to them later on and everything and how many of those decisions they made when they got home and they didn't. They said they was going to, had good intentions, they never made them. There's something about stepping out and coming down and get on your knees before God. You say, what will other people think? They'll think you're wanting to get right with God. Amen. If not, they need to get back down here and get things right. Father, have your way in each one of our hearts. Lord, the greatest kiss in all the world was the one when you kissed at Calvary. Oh, Lord, help us to understand that no one can come to you without that kiss. No one can get saved without Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fall in love with you, that that spirit of revival would continue in our hearts and lives. Lord, that you would do something in all of our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? If God's spoken to your heart, why don't you just get out, step out of your place and come? Just do business with the Lord. But God, I, I just haven't understood what you've done for me. I've taken a lot of this for granted. Lord, I might not even be saved. I, I, I'm not sure if I died today whether I'd go to heaven. Why don't you come and make sure? Get it settled once and for all before it's eternally too late. Won't you come tonight? Let him set you free and you'll be free indeed.